This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. Your weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show, Talk Radio 77 WABC. What happens when a Broadway star... Sharon Wheatley starring in Come From Away during the pandemic. What happens when she finds out her show, like almost all of Broadway, is temporarily closed? The temporarily in the end meant almost um, a year and a half. What happens? What do you do? Come listen to Sharon Wheatley, actress, writer, storyteller, academic, when she decides with her family to rent an RV and go across America. You're going to laugh, you're going to cry, and you're going to get a sense of what this country's all about. And don't forget, also on today's show, Jane Goodall. What a fascinating woman. What a fascinating life. I can't wait for you to share her with me. So all this coming up now on The Joan Hamburg. Taking you behind the curtain, it's the Joan Hamburg Show, Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome everyone to the Joan Hamburg Show. You know, we're looking back, people already are acting as if what we all went through is over, and I certainly hope so. But when I think about what I did for two and a half years, I sort of come up with nothing. But actress and singer, writer, educator Sharon Wheatley had a different adventure. In fact, I was fascinated when I read that Sharon had written a book. She had written a book before, but she had a new book called Drive. And she and her family did something that I have fantasized about. I have a kid who lives in California. And of course, like so many of you with children and family away, We hadn't seen each other in a really long time. I wanted to rent an RV, drive across country, park in his driveway, and say, Mom's here. But everyone I knew talked me out of it. You can't do it. You don't know how to do it. It's huge. How will you get gas back up? Sharon Wheatley didn't listen to the naysayers. And when her Broadway show, she was working, Come From Away, and her wife, who is a a theater manager, was working, but both their shows were on hold for the moment or thought they were going to be on hold. Everyone thought it would be a matter of weeks when her kids had school situations that were not going to be as usual. Sharon did something incredible. Welcome. I got the biggest kick out of reading Drive because it was not only funny, it was a look at America. And look at how people are living. And it was, you know, that you did that was just incredible. Thank you. I have to say, I look back on it now and I think, 
exactly the same thing. I can't believe we did it. I mean, I'm in the process of looking at booking a little spring break trip. And to be honest, I'm looking at, you know, ritzy hotels and yeah. how nice can I Resorts. make it? <laughs> yeah. No, that's, I'm a resort girl. I am not a let's hop in an RV kind of a girl. I had never been in one in my life, nor unlike you, I had never fantasized about doing it. But, you know, as we all know, coming through this pandemic, sometimes uh, necessity is the motherhood of invention. And I had to get my child from one coast to the other. And I was raised to make difficult situations an adventure. And I thought, how can I do this? Um, and I was scared. <laughs> I'd be scared too. And 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 you were having company, you know, but still. So where did the IV, did you just wake up and say, I'm going to do this and look at this because of the pandemic? No one wanted to stay in hotels or motels and worry about food and eating in restaurants, right? It was anxiety yeah. time. It's true. And, you know, sometimes it's when we look back at the beginning days of the pandemic now, you know, I don't think that people are nearly as hesitant to stay in a hotel. Um, I think that we've all figured it out in a way that we didn't have it figured out back in May and June of 2020. That was right. still very much, you know, life was shut down um, and people weren't traveling on airplanes and people weren't staying in hotels. There was still a lot of, I mean, I remember hearing stories about people who would rent a hotel for two nights and they would let the hotel room sit empty for the first night to get out any, you know, uh, in, infections that might be in the air and then they would stay there the second night. And I just thought, well, that sounds expensive and still risky in terms of having to check in and go into elevators and everything else. Um, and there was always the issue of really simple things like a public restroom. You know, if you drive across country, you're still having to go into every public right. restroom. It seemed like everything I looked at was uh, incredibly risky. Right. Um, Everything but, was threatening. And it really was because we yeah. didn't know anything. It's true. And and I have uh, and I, I think there are many parents who are divorced and have agreements with their their spouses, child's other parent. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Toby needed to spend the summer with uh, with their dad in San Diego. And I thought, how can I do this? So. I went around and around and around about it. And my wife, unlike me, um, had done some RV trips in, in childhood. I mean, really, it was just her grandparents who were driving and she didn't do anything. But she had very nostalgic memories of this and had always said, I want to go around in an RV. And I kind of just said, sure, someday, thinking never. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a pretty good idea when I came up with the idea. I just kept thinking, what can I do that's self-contained? And it just kept coming back around to RVs. And at that time, no one was renting an RV except um, healthcare workers who were renting them and parking in their own driveways so that they could come and go to the mm -hmm. hospital without Safely. infecting their kids. Yeah. So that's 
I got a great deal because no one was doing it at the time. And they gave me an open-ended contract, which I didn't think that I would need. But we ended up hopping in that RV and figuring it out. And we stayed in it for 91 days. It's incredible because even though you were a Cincinnati girl and grew up Mm. where you know, even if you didn't live there where I grew up in a, in a town where I was in my car from the time it was legal and we drove all the time, but you're a New York city actress for all these years. And it <laughs> right. isn't like you're driving great adventures or over difficult terrain. You had to get in this huge thing and neither of you had done this really where you were behind the wheel and no. you had a kid with you more yeah. than one at sometimes. And you had to figure it out, how to dump stuff out of it, how to gas it, how to turn it, how to make it in a driveway. I still don't know, even reading your book, Drive, how you did this. We watched. Did you go to school, by the way, for it before you took off? (laughs) No. I mean, we went to YouTube school. We sat, I mean, you know, the the luxury of the pandemic is that we, we did have a lot of time as Toby was in homeschool and finishing up. Um, sixth grade, which is the grade that Toby was in at the time, Martha and I sat in the living room of the Airbnb that we had rented in Cincinnati, and we watched YouTube videos, which there are tons of them, with every single different detail about how to dump it. And Martha would focus on all of the functions of how to dump the this and the that and this and the that. Meanwhile, I was planning the, the color scheme and how to have the most comfortable bed and how do you drive and not have, you know, your smoothie maker fall and smash in an RV. So we were working on completely different things. But it, it in this case, it worked really well that we're so different. It worked very well in our, it was in our favor, but it was still incredibly intimidating. And we learned so much just in the first day. Well, I, but, and then when your wife had to go because her show uh, was needing her and they were doing recordings and stuff where she, and it was thrilling because you guys also had to deal with the money issue. When actors yeah. don't work, they don't get paid. That's right. I mean, we had basically, <laughs> my sister said to me at one point, how are you going to pay for this? And I said, I've got a 0% credit credit card and a dream. I mean, we just put it all <laughs> on a 0% credit card. So when, so Martha was the production stage manager of Diana the Musical, and right. they did a lot of work during the pandemic on the show. And so Martha was, constantly in zoom meetings for diana and we were racing from free wi-fi to what free wi-fi trying to make sure that she was able to get in on these zoom meetings parking in mcdonald's parking lots or parking in starbucks parking lots or public libraries any place that had free wi-fi that might reach the rv so that became an unexpected um uh, goals to achieve every day and she would do zoom meetings and I would walk the dogs or, or whatever. And, and then, um, we were somewhere in the middle of Montana. I mean, really deeply in Montana 
and she got a call that they were going to film Diana the Musical for Netflix. Now, that's a break. (laughs) I mean, it was great. And well, Martha cried and I crunched numbers is kind of how it came down. And we looked at each other and said, you've got to go. You have to go and do this. And so then the decision was, am I going to turn the RV in and wait it out? Or am I going to keep it out? And at this point, it was so close to the time when Toby was going to be done in San Diego. And then we had the issue of getting them back. And at this point, my older daughter, Charlotte, was also in San Diego now at this point. And so I just called Charlotte up and said, what do you think? Can we do this? And Charlotte agrees to everything. And I Right. How old is Charlotte? She was a teenager or... She was right. 23. 23, 20, so. Yeah. At, at 22, was actually, at the time. Oh, yeah. She was totally into it. And I just thought, I'm much, I don't, you know, it's interesting here. I wrote this book called Drive, and I talk about driving an RV, and I sound so cavalier about it. But the truth is, um, I was very <laughs> nervous to do it, very nervous to do it. Sure, by and, yourself, really, with your kid. Yeah. And I thought, and Martha had done the majority of the driving, I would say, and I'm a very good driver, but you know, the pandemic, as everybody knows, I think did take a toll on people's psyche in a lot of ways. And I was having some anxiety issues and everything else. And I thought, I really have to think about whether or not I can do this just safety wise. I mean, I knew I wasn't going to wreck the RV, but I just thought, you know, do I want to, yeah. Do I want to white knuckle it really was my question. And when Charlotte was so into it, um, I just thought, you know, she had felt left out here. We had been on this trip and she, yeah, she, yeah, exactly. She'd been doing something else and, and um, she really wanted to go. And I thought, all right, this is a moment where, I show my kids what I'm made of. And so in a lot of ways, I think the book is, the book is about a lot of things, but the book's about parenting. It is. And resilience. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a blast. I mean, it was, it was, uh, I always said to Martha, I said, you know, if you really replay your life when you die, um, those moments before, these are the days that will go through my head of, of what we did during that time. And, and my kids and I know each other on a different level. And Martha and I certainly do. Um, I mean, and, you know, and we all argued and we all, you know, it was, it was a technicolor. Yeah, you're tough. You're trip. in a box, a great big box yeah. on wheels. <laughs> and can't. you had animals with you too. It wasn't like it was just you and one or two kids. It was a whole menagerie in there. It was. Well, you know, when you're packing up your life, you you pack up everything. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And there were so many funny scenes of you guys pulling with this huge thing into friends in various parts of America into their driveways. And because of the pandemic, no one was willing to let this crazy family in their houses because of contamination. It's true. Nor did we want to do that. I mean, we really felt very protective of everyone that we were seeing, but also people were lonely. I mean, by this point, this is June, July, August, September of 2020. 
And people had been stuck in their houses for a long time. So we just got this crazy notion to do something that in the RV community is called mooch docking, which is where you park in someone's driveway and then you run an extension cord, just a basic outdoor extension cord like you would use for like Christmas lights into their house. And then we could we could use that to make coffee in the morning or run a fan and but then call it mooch docking because you're borrowing their power. Their power. <laughs> and we would, you know, fill up our tank with their hose so that we had water. Mm. And and then we would just barbecue and stay outside. We never went in anybody's house. We slept in the RV. We used our own bathroom. Um, but we got to visit with people across the country. And, and our friends were very starved for visitors. <laughs> yeah, so we, we always said... If you had a flat driveway and we knew you, chances were you were going to get a phone call from us at some point. (laughs) (laughs) And there you were. I'm talking to Sharon Wheatley and her new book, Drive. Do you sense having driven across and into gorgeous places and not gorgeous places and meeting people everywhere that you got a feeling of what America's about or what people were thinking during those times. There's been so much anger and so much political stuff. You guys are in the world of art and theater. That isn't your world. Was that evident or it wasn't? You all had a commonality. You know, one of the goals of the trip, I mean, that Martha and I set as a goal in the beginning was that we wanted to get out in America. And originally the book was called Out in America, which I liked because it had a double meaning. It had sort of, you know, Martha and I as a gay couple out in America, but also just being Martha and I live and work within a five block radius. And here in Manhattan, in the epicenter of, you know, liberalism, as my dad would say, you know, your politics have to do with your zip code, which always made me mad. He was very Republican. My mother was very Republican, both of them conservative, Martha's parents as well. And when my parents died, I had the sense of my connection to the other political party, the other view of America is gone. And I think both Martha and I felt very strongly about wanting to get out in America and meet people. And, you know, the RV community, and this is a massive generalization. It's, it's, it's different state by state, for example, in California. Yeah. But in California, a lot more people in the West coast in general, a lot more people RV than they do here on the East coast. Again, generalization, but, um, but it is a, a highly military crowd. It is a much more conservative crowd. Um, and we knew and felt the risk of driving into different RV campgrounds as two married women. And we, I definitely was nervous about it. Martha's more comfortable in general. And, um, and less, I'm a nervous Nellie. So, you know, I'm nervous about everything. (laughs) I found that people absolutely are people. You can watch Fox News or you can watch MSNBC. You can listen to all the reports. But I'm here to tell you that people are nice and kind and they were helpful. The best thing was we found the themes 
of the show that I'm in, Come From Away, which is all about traveling and getting stranded somewhere Mm -hmm. and then relying on the kindness of strangers, regardless of everything, um, to be true in America as well. So that's the really good news that I have. If we had an issue, people were more than willing to come over and say, you know, this is how you you. use this adapter. This is, oh, you're pump is stuck. You need to do this, or this is why this is leaking. And then we would chat and we had a great time. I mean, and I think they admired that we were out doing it and trying and, you know, two women in a 30 foot RV with two dogs and two cats, you get noticed. (laughs) Right. And a young kid in the beginning. That's right. That's right. I mean, and obviously not knowing what we're doing. And the RV that we rented has gigantic graphics on it. I mean, you can't miss us. So it was, I would say more than anything, that's what I took away from the trip. I I came back with a much greater sense of calm, even as I was watching the news. I thought, you know, this is, this is what people talk about, but um, it isn't. We've lived it. We lived it on a one-on-one interpersonal way that made me feel really good about who people are. And do you feel when you come from away uh, has opened, you're back on Broadway yes. playing Diane, but did you feel as a different person? Was it life-changing or is that just what people say when they're describing something? When you came back to the real world, Hell's Kitchen, the normal New York day-to-day is so different, and working on Broadway eight shows a week. Were you a new you, or what was the perspective, Sharon? Sharon Wheatley is my guest. That's such a good question. You know, honestly, I think what had happened with me is that I had become my job. I had been in Come From Away since 2015. I had been on Broadway for a long time. And I really, I didn't, I had lost track of who I was underneath all of that. And so I do think that I came back with more confidence of, there's life beyond this job mm-hmm. for me. Um, but I also can't, you know, that doesn't mean I didn't sit in, you know, a, a shopping mall parking lot in the middle of Washington state on a Tuesday night at eight o'clock when I would normally be on stage, right. you know, in the middle of the pandemic. I mean, I really, somebody sent me a video of people singing, you know, one of the songs from come from away and I clicked on it and started to listen to it and I lost it. And I looked at Martha and I said, I can't, I can't go there. I have to stay very, um, uh, centered. Yes, exactly. And just stay, I have to stay right where I am and enjoy it. I definitely came back to hell's kitchen. I mean, just speaking honestly and noticed so much more of the crime and the drugs and the dirt you know, right. you can't, I think that's normal having been where I was. It's gotten is, worse. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely gotten worse. It, 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 there's no, there's no two ways about it. And I, I miss waking up to birds. I miss building a campfire at night. Mm-hmm. I miss looking at the stars. Um, 
you know, I know that's all out there and it is a beautiful thing to be back with my second family and doing this show that means so much to people. And that I think people need to see right now, not to do a plug for the show, but in all honesty, this is the show that if people are coming back to Broadway, I think this is the right one to see because it reminds you that people are kind and being part of that message every night is so important to me and to all of us that work on the show. It is about resilience. It is about kindness. And so I do have a deeper, richer perspective on that, having lived it during the pandemic. Right. And the truth is, in Drive, you'll also find out how Sharon got this wonderful part in a wonderful show. When a show starts, no one knows what's going to happen to it. And right. and to just get these parts is, it's you know, the luck of the draw. It's like winning the lottery, you know, the chances yeah. of that. So this was a huge get at a complicated time. I'm curious, too, you, you had your little boy. He wasn't so little, but he's, you know, a kid still with you on part of this trip. Do you feel it changed him? in any way or because he's just a kid it was all part of this is what i'm doing now how about your relationship with him or your wife this is here we get into the most 2022 um correction that i need to make ever so just go with me on this one of the things that has happened for a lot of children during the pandemic is there's been this um this sort of gender revolution, which I am oh, still me, figuring out. And I so don't get it. Toby, I know, I know, believe me, I don't always no either. No one's a he or a she, they're a they that's right. or a whatever. That's right. Toby is a they, them, and Toby was born female and actually had a different name. And so this has all happened during the pandemic. So Toby isn't a boy. Uh, Toby's a they, them. Um, at the time when I was, it's interesting, I will tell you this, at the time when I was writing the book and at the time when uh, the trip started, Toby was at that point still Beatrix, which Toby allows me to say, some kids are very rigid about, you can't say my previous name and they call it a dead name. But Toby and I had long conversations about name and gender, but Toby was still a girl and Toby was Beatrix. So the first draft of the book is all she, her, and is all Beatrix. And I had to go back in and change. And I realized on page 44, there's still a her. So I have to go back in and ask my publishing company if they can fix that for the next printing. But um, I will say I work at night, generally speaking, right? Six days a week. And my show is very short, but I don't always- still, you're gone. Yeah, I don't always get to sit down and have dinner. Now, we do, I do as much quality time with Toby as I possibly can. And I'm always the first person out of the theater rushing home to be with Toby. And I can, I can walk in the door at nine o'clock and really do all the bedtime stuff and, you know, all that. And we're in very close contact all the time. Um, But I think for Toby, it was the pandemic as it has been for so many kids, has been so traumatizing. And to give Toby and Charlotte, who's my older one, this gift of 
learning how to make life an adventure, even when the adventure is my mom's in a bad mood, the dog just threw up, you know, now I've got to walk the dogs, the fire won't start, it's raining, it's muddy. It's, it's at least we have something and we were all together and we laughed and we cried and we we have something vibrant and it wasn't just, I'm going to sit on the couch and worry and wring my hands about what to do. Um, and I think that that was a really valuable experience for Toby. I'm sure. Well, it's a great adventure and thank you, Sharon Wheatley for sharing it with us. It's called drive and it's going to take you all across America. And meet a family you might not have met before. Find out what it was like growing up in the Midwest, in Cincinnati. And that people are people all yep. over, no matter where. So you gave us a gift. All the best to you and your family. Thank you for having me on. I'm so honored. It's a pleasure. And I'm so happy that you're back in that wonderful show. Me so. Too. Yeah, everyone go see it. <laughs> and I look forward to talking to you again. Take care. Thank you so much. Take care. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. More to come. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show. And at a time when the world seems in disarray and hope is vanishing among many people, I thought it would be wonderful if we could reintroduce you, if you haven't heard her recently, to uh, Dr. Jane Goodall, who's not only one of the leading scientists in the world, but a writer, a messenger, and an activist. Dr. Goodall has something that is really important. It's her podcast that she started, actually, during the pandemic to spread her message of hope. It's called Jane Goodall Hopecast. And it's really important for everyone to listen to it. So 60 years of groundbreaking career, Dr. Goodall, and from that young girl who went into a jungle in Tanzania to a major activist, hope is still there and you still feel strongly about possibility, about future, and about our ability to change. Uh, yes, um, I do. And I see the world at the moment. Imagine humans at the mouth of a very long, very dark tunnel. And right at the end is a little star. That's hope. Well, we not much point in sitting at the mouth of the tunnel and hoping that the star will come to us. We have to roll up our sleeves and crawl under, climb over, work around all the obstacles 
between us and that star, like climate change, loss of biodiversity, um, pandemics and things like that. And a different world from when you as a youngster really started out. It wasn't about activism. It was about your love for animals, your insatiable need to read, and also the faith of a mother who was way ahead of her time, who said to her daughter, who could be considered a total rebel in those days, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? A wife or this or that, but that wasn't you. It was, I want to do something with animals, with chimpanzees, and a mother who said, go for it. You can do anything you want if you're willing to work. Well, it was, you know, I loved animals from the time I was born. She supported that love. She didn't even get mad when I took earthworms to bed with me. She just said, <laughs> I think they might die here. I, uh, she thinks I was interested in how they walked without legs. But anyway... I was 10 years old when I dreamed I'll go to Africa, live with wild animals and write books about them. And everybody laughed at me, dream about something you can achieve. Except mum, and she said, well, you know, if you really want to do this, you're going to have to work awfully hard. You must take advantage of every opportunity. And then if you don't give up, you will probably find a way. And that's the kind of support that every child needs. And you had it. And you know, when you think back, and I know you lecture all over the world, and of course, because of social media and the internet, you can reach millions of people from your own home. But when you look back and you see the coincidence of life, you going to stay with a friend at their farm, and you meet a man who literally changed the course of your life and made that dream come true. And you went for it. Yes, well, it was amazing, wasn't it? I mean, if I look it back is. at my now, <laughs> I just see all these turning points where, uh, but for some something, I might have gone a different way and not done what I, what I have done. It, it's really quite amazing. Yeah, and amazing that you met this man who was renowned in his field, and he was looking for a secretary and assistant. And there you were, you, you point out you hadn't gone to college yet. He took a chance, he hired you, and next thing you know, he's offering you a dream come true, an opportunity. Yeah, that was totally amazing. I mean, we didn't have money for university. We just had money for a secretarial course Boring old shorthand typing, right. bookkeeping. We, we and all then, you know, do that. Yes, amazingly, Leakey wanted a secretary. So I was in a world where people could answer all my questions about the animals, you know, the birds and the mammals and the insects and the plants of Africa. And uh, he must have seen something in me, a passion about learning about animals, my fascination with it, my determination and he offered me this incredible opportunity to go and live with not just any animal, but the one most like us. Right. Right. And he had full faith in you. I love the fact, too, that your mother came with you, which was part of the deal. And, and what a, a great adventure for her, too. But then you saw things that no one else had seen. And the fact is that when you said 
that you saw apes making tools and doing other extraordinary things, he believed you and people started to believe you instead of saying, she's just a kid, what does she know? She isn't a scientist by training. And that was the start of a life adventure. Yeah, so mom came with me because the British authorities, Tanzania was British back then. Um, they wouldn't allow me to go without a companion and she volunteered. And, you know, when I first began talking about chimps tool using, uh, the science just said, well, why should we believe her? She's just a girl. She hasn't been to college. But it was when the National Geographic sent out Hugo van Lauwek, a filmmaker, to film the behavior that I was observing. You know, the scientists had to change their minds. And back then they were so reductionist. You know, they thought that we were... The difference between us and other animals was one of kind, not degree, kind. But the chimps, because they're biologically so like us, proved that that we're just part of and not separate from the rest of the animal kingdom. And that opened the door for studying other animals in a different way. Because, you know, when I began, nobody had studied chimps in the wild. In fact... Almost nobody had studied any animals in the wild. All the studies were in captivity. And then when you brought back this information, it was shocking to many people, but they ended up believing you because the photographer had proof. He had photographs, and everything changed when that started happening. Yeah, well, he had film, and he was very, very right. talented. And, and um, you married him, right? Yes, I married him, and our son um, is now, you know, he's also involved. Well, my grandchildren are involved in environmental activities. And um, my son is building environmentally friendly houses. Oh, how fabulous. <laughs> Where is he doing this? In Tanz Actually, oh. he's in Tanzania at Gombe right now. Right. And Did the he lake... It has risen in level because of the heavy rains, because of climate change. And so he's building walls to prevent the lake from washing away some of the houses. Yeah. <laughs> so. You've done a good job. And it's because when you started, climate change, climate crisis wasn't even in the vocabulary. No, it wasn't. Absolutely wasn't. And there wasn't any need. I mean, the chimps were not endangered back then. It's all been much more recent. And now, you know, we face the climate crisis, we face loss of biodiversity, all brought on by our actions. The pandemic was brought upon us by our actions, by our disrespect of nature and animals. Mm. I know. And then you brought out the relationship between humans and animals and our obligation and started waking up the world to this. But with all this happening, which is, you know, I hate to use scary words, but it is terrifying in many ways. And there's, we have to preserve the planet and we can't afford to lose species. But you still feel, Dr. Goodall, hope and endless possibility? Is it because of the youngsters that you see and deal with who truly care and are activists from the time they're little? Well, it's partly the youth, you know, our roots and shoots 
program is now in 65 countries with young people from kindergarten through university all taking action because hope is about action. You can't just sit and hope something will happen. You've got to do something about it. But, you know, the other hope is our amazing intellect, which does make us different from other animals, even though they're way more intelligent than we used to think. But we're beginning to finally to use our intellect to create innovative technology to help us heal some of the harm we've done and to use our own brains to make as light ecological footprint as we can. And then there's the amazing fact that nature is so resilient and places we've utterly destroyed. If we give them time and perhaps some help, they can once again support life. And species on the brink of extinction mm. can be given another chance. Which but is extinction. Yeah, but you know, we are in the midst of the sixth great extinction and we're getting close to a tipping point when if the world goes on heating, we may never be able to do very much about it and we're doomed. So that's why I am so passionate about raising awareness and not only raising awareness, but getting people to take action. We can make a difference, but do we have the will? And the young people, you know, the young people are, are really, really, really inspiring that once they know the problems and we encourage them to take action. And your book, I, I don't think I mentioned in the beginning that Dr. Goodall, uh, less than a year ago or around then, the Book of Hope, a survival guide for trying times, we need that absolutely more than ever. And that book has had and is having a great impact on all of us who may not be scientists or authors, but the book hits home and it's really important. Are you amazed by your outreach even now at this point when a lot of it, when you were traveling constantly and now I'm sure the pandemic seems to be calming down, but the world is still in horrible shape and you're doing a lot online. Are you surprised yeah. by the outreach of all that? Well, I've got a wonderful team at the Jane Goodall Institute helping to create Virtual Jane. And um, I'm told that I've reached literally millions more people in many more countries. I mean, I can, I can be in four different countries in one day. But it's Amazing, exhausting. Huh? I've never been as exhausted, much more exhausting than traveling. Because you can be doing two, two interviews and a podcast in one day. You can be in four different countries. I haven't had one day off. I haven't had one weekend off since the pandemic began. Wow. But, yeah. And it's just amazing. I, and it is. But, and it's so interesting, too, from when you started 60, 61 years ago, that it was about the animals. And then you understood quickly that it was about humans and people and the interconnection and that it wasn't just animals, it was the people all around them too, and the communities. And it again started changing everything. Yes, well, it was when I visited six other chimp study sites across Africa and realized how the forests were being cut down and chimp numbers were dropping. That was in 1986, and I learned about the plight of the chimps 
But I also learned about the plight of the people, the crippling poverty, lack of good health and education facilities, the degradation of the land as populations grew. And flying over tiny Gombe National Park, where the study is still ongoing, seeing that what once had been a great stretch of forest was now a little island of forest and all around the hills were bare. And it hit me. I mean, this is because the people are so poor, they're cutting down the trees right. to job the money. Poverty, 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 poverty. I'm Joan Hamburg talking to Dr. Jane Goodall, and we were talking about the fact that it all started with animals, but it then extended to people too. And this is major. If people are living in poverty, then they're going to do things to make money, to make land, to make things grow. And this is why the connection between the world of the animals and the world of humans is so important. They have to be taken hand in hand in many ways. Do you find that this is a message that people understand saving animals and nature means saving the population as well? Well, people are getting more aware and this pandemic has helped because we brought the pandemic on ourselves by our disrespect of animals, not 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 treating them as the sentient beings they are with their own individuality, but capturing them, trafficking them or their body parts around the world to sell in wildlife markets, crowding them in tiny cages, stressing them, creating amazing conditions for a, a virus to jump from an animal to a person. When that happens, if it bonds with a cell in the human body, then it can create a new so-called zoonotic disease. And apparently of 70 plus percent of all new human diseases are zoonotic in origin, either from uh, crowding animals closer to people by destroying their environment, or through these wildlife markets, or the factory farms where we crowd billions of sentient animals in terrible conditions. And, you know, each one of those animals, each pig on a hog farm, is an intelligent being with its own personality. And feelings, as you point out. And animals have emotions and feelings. They do. All of them. But when you started, and you point out that chimps can be aggressive, depending upon circumstance, what do you think it was that protected you? You went in there, 20-something years old, and waited and waited until you had endless patients. They started accepting you. But what do you feel it was that enabled you to do that and not be attacked or harassed by the animals who could be protecting their own turf? Well, they, first of all, were frightened of me and ran away for four whole months. And then, you know, I was harmless. They did start being very aggressive towards me at the beginning, treating me a bit like a predator, basically mm. wanting me to go away. But I ignored them and pretended I wasn't interested. You know, it was a bit scary. And, you know, eventually they they just, they're, they're not, you know, most wild animals are not aggressive 
to humans unless we frighten them or unless they've been hurt. And in the end, all of this was our gift. But when you look back and you became a scientist, but in the very beginning, it was your observation, your intellect, your gift to be able to reach out to animals. What does it take to be a good scientist? In that time, the scientific community laughed at you in a way, you know, and, and your constant conversations about the feelings of animal, their abilities. Today, the world has changed. To be a good scientist, what do you need to be? And of course, more women are going into science because of you. I think one of the most important things about science is, and one of the reasons why women perhaps didn't want to go into science so much, is that one was told you can't have empathy with your subject. You've got to be totally objective. And if you have empathy for your subject, you cannot be objective, which is absolute rubbish. You can. I've proved it again and again. And science it needs the head. Yes, you've got to be, you know, be taught to think scientifically and logically and all that kind of thing, which I love. But we must involve the heart as well. And it's when head and heart work in harmony that we can get scientists who are also humane people. And all those years when your son was very little, did you bring him up in Tanzania or... Where was he based then? He was in Tanzania until he was eight years old. Uh And then he came to school in England and lived with my mother. So we're a nice extended family we are. Was it hard bringing up a little boy there? No, it was wonderful. But we had to keep him away from the chimps because, you know, they are hunters. They eat mostly other primates. And um, the human baby is nothing but another primate to them. Right, a baby monkey or something. Yes, we had to keep him very uh, safe. We had a house on the beach where the chimps seldom go. And he was always with someone. And he probably loved it from the time he was able to talk. Oh, yeah, he loved, well, what he loved was, you know, the Gombe stream is on the shore of Lake Tanganyika. Mm-hmm. and uh, he could swim before he could walk. That was his thing, the lake. Fantastic. So, so many things are going on in your life. Is there a wish list of things that you plan to do in the near future? Well, I mean, you know, I'm nearly 88. I will go back on the road. I'll probably never do quite as much traveling since discovering how much more outreach I can have from one place. Um, But, you know, I want to visit my friends again. I've got friends all over the world, and Zooming is okay, but actually being with them is different. Uh The things I used to want to do, like going to the wild parts of Papua New Guinea, you know, I know I can't do those now when you're 88 and you've got one knee that had a broken kneecap at one point, and, Mm -hmm. you know... You have to yourself a little bit. I'm still jolly active and I can climb around Gombe, but um, I'm not any longer going to try and go on long, arduous expeditions where I'd simply be a burden on everybody else. And I'm curious, at this point in time, 
when we have crises on every level in the world. What is your feeling? Are world leaders going to ever follow through on the promises, including climate change, which is essential right now? We could be on the brink. We are on the brink. And, you know, um, I took part in, in COP26 in Glasgow virtually. I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. If all the leaders kept to their promises, then that would be great. But they never have so far. And the only thing is climate change is higher on the political agenda. More people know about it. More and more NGOs are working on it. Youth groups are working on it. But, you know, I mean, we've now got this terrible situation in Ukraine. What's going on in Ukraine now takes me right back to when I was a child growing up in World War Two, And, you know, for about a year, Britain was the only country in Europe that wasn't either defeated or had capitulated to Nazi Germany. And we didn't have, we were not prepared for a war, not at all. But there we were with no proper defenses except very brave young airmen uh, going over and mostly getting killed. But we had Churchill and he roused the spirit in the British people. We will not be defeated. And I see the same thing in Ukraine. Yes. And finally, the free world is beginning to come together and support is pouring in uh, to help the beleaguered people in, in Ukraine. And, you know, all these over a million refugees. But you see the wonderful side of humans, people opening their houses to the refugees, people rushing in to volunteer in Ukraine, even though the situation is so grim. So you, disaster brings out the very best in people, as well as the worst. Right. And with your messages of hope, it makes such a difference. I highly recommend um, the Book of Hope, Dr. Goodell's podcast, which is hope. And we absolutely need it now. All the best to you. I'm grateful that you took the time out of your busy schedule. I look forward to talking to you soon. Take All right, care. thank you very much. Anytime, and I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. More ahead. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. All right, well, I'm looking at the clock and it says there's a lot more here on WABC Radio. By the way, the number one station, it's very exciting. But I'm so happy that you joined me today. Thank you for Dr. Goodall. And thank you for actress, writer, Sharon Wheatley, who during the pandemic did what some people like me fantasized about doing. She rented an RV with her family, never did anything like that in her life. Her show was on hiatus, like all of Broadway, and drove across the country, saw America, 
and never had done that was just amazing. So we've got two great guests that we celebrated today, and you're always part of the Joan Hamburg Show. So don't go anywhere. Stay right here because you've got a big day ahead of you on the best radio station in America. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.